Hey, Redeem family, I am so glad that you joined us for Redeem Online today. We are starting a new sermon series called Rebuild, Leadership Lessons for When Things Fall Apart. You know, during this season, it's been such a, a, a challenging season. It's been one maybe filled with pain or challenges or confusion for you. And so we are going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be pulling out leadership lessons as we look as he rebuilds the wall. Now, hang in with me because I have a challenge for the whole church at the end of this sermon. And so I want everyone to hang in there. I know it's a 30-minute talk, but just hang in there. And then I want you to join with us on a challenge that I have for all of us, all right? So we're going to jump right in. But before I start this series, I want to admit something. I am a terrible builder. So when you listen to me say rebuild, you might say, oh man, Kurt doesn't even know how to build anything. Well, I have rebuilt and built some teams and some ideas and programs and been along with churches that have been starting out. So I know how to rebuild those things, but anything practical, I am a, a complete waste, if we're being honest. So if you need a sink you know, fixed or you need a table built or whatever, I recommend you calling my wife Meg and not me because she can help you more than me. But I want to go back to a time where I was actually part of a rebuilding process that was special to me. Now, I grew up in Indiana, like I've talked about before, and I actually grew up with my grandparents living on this little camp in this little red cabin called Quaker Haven in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. And so on this little camp, there was this deck that was just overlooking the lake and just down the hill from this little log cabin Quaker church. And this is one of those old school Quaker churches, right? With the bench seating and you just sat there in quiet until the Lord spoke to somebody. And so as a kid, it was a really boring place, but the camp was incredible. And this deck was beginning to fall apart. And so my grandpa decided to rebuild the deck and I joined along with him and some other guys in the community. Now it's just a simple deck that overlooks the lake and it's a beautiful place. But the significance of rebuilding that was so impactful and I felt it even as a teenager. And what we found was that it, just rebuilding that deck gave that little camp some more hope. There was spiritual significance to that deck as to this day I can guarantee that there are people that are praying and seeking Lord, the Lord on this deck as they're at a retreat for this camp. And there's spiritual significance to that deck that we, that we built. And then there's also this generational. We named it after my great-grandfather, and so it's, it's significant to our family. But even for this camp, think of the generations and generations that will be impacted from just our work that day or that week of rebuilding that deck that had been falling apart overlooking the lake. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I want to ask, have you ever rebuilt anything? Or better yet, as we begin this sermon series, I want to be asking, are you going to be looking for God and see what he might be calling you to rebuild or build in your life or in your community or at our church? All right. I want this to be a time where we're seeking the Lord and we're saying, Lord, what do you want me to be a part of the building or rebuilding process in this season? You know, many of us have had a hard time during this COVID season, right? And as we come out of it, you might be wondering, what are we supposed to be doing or what am I supposed to be doing next or how am I supposed to get plugged in? Maybe uh, many of you have had relationships that need to be rebuilt, whether it's broken down over time, whether it's something you did or something someone else did, but a relationship that needs to be rebuilt. Many of us have broken families or 
torn relationships within our family. And maybe it's because of a mistake you made or maybe it's a mistake that someone else made, but it's something that needs to be rebuilt. Maybe just maybe some of you have something in our community or in our church, in our neighborhood that symbolizes something significant that, that will bring hope to people in your community that needs to be repaired or replaced rather than us just complaining about it and wishing that somebody else would do it. I want to challenge you to be seeking the Lord during this sermon series as we go and we look at how Nehemiah approaches these things. You know, we just finished updating our operating system. And if you remember, we said updating our operating system is for all of us to be spirit-led and doing the works. In short, seeing what the Father is doing and doing that. Hearing from the Spirit and doing that. This is what I think is our next step from updating our operating system, right? The next step for us is leading and stepping into repairing and rebuilding what the Lord has for us, all right? And so on a practical level, I want you to be thinking about you as individuals, but then I also want to say, what about us? What about us as a church? What about us as a body? What about us as Redeemed Church? I'm going to ask you to join with us as we rebuild this church. You know, we're like most churches. We've gone through a lot with COVID. COVID was a strange, strange season for most churches. Big, big churches, little, small churches, all of them feeling, experiencing similar things. But then also as we transition and as I head into this leadership role with the church, I want to ask you to think about re, with joining me as we rebuild this church. Because I'm convinced of one thing, that God so desires for us to build a thriving church in Lakewood, UP, still come DuPont area. I promise you that he's looking for a spirit-led church that's doing the works because he so desperately wants a change to happen in this area. And so I'm putting everything in to fight for that. And I'm going to ask you to join with us. Now, one thing that we're going to be doing that we keep talking about is equipping the saints to do the work. So it's not just me just trying to build this church. It's us, you and me, joining together in this important work. So as we enter this sermon series, be seeking the Lord and see what he has for you. What he might be calling you to rebuild or repair in your individual lives and then also as a church together. This is a season in our churches and in our communities where we need more builders than bodies. And I'm going to say that again. We need more builders than bodies because when we get builders in here, something amazing is going to happen. If we build this together, I can guarantee you this, that it's going to be sweet on the other side. But also, as we rebuild this together, I promise you that this will be, we'll look at this tough season with, with fondness. We'll look at this season that we're in and remember the building process and look at it with fondness, even though it's going to be tough. You know, when I was rebuilding that deck, I have no skills, but I was mostly just carrying stuff for the guys. But it was hot and it was sweaty and it was hard work and it was boring work. But I look back on that so fondly in this special moment of building this deck for this camp. And I think that as we rebuild something significant, you will as well. So asking you to join us in that. So as we look at the story of Nehemiah, we'll see much like rebuilding a wall, a thriving church can transform a city with new help. So when we, as, we, as we think about the rebuilding the wall process, think of it as rebuilding the church as well. 
and what hope that would give to a city like the cities we live in. I want to start with this important question as we jump into Nehemiah. And the first question that many people might have is this question, why this small book in the Old Testament? Why would we be focusing on this small book in the Old Testament? And I want to actually look at the New Testament to answer that question. It's so important for us as believers to have biblical knowledge. So important for us as disciples to have a, uh, a biblical knowledge that helps us understand the whole story of God. And we actually see Paul saying this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and, it, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, a couple things to point out here. When he says the Holy Scriptures, what is Paul and Timothy talking about here? Well, of course, they're talking about the Hebrew text. They're talking about the Old Testament. That's what Tim Timothy would have known since infancy. This wasn't a new, there wasn't a New Testament or a Bible at that time, of course. And so Paul is saying that the Old Testament actually makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, for, in Christ Jesus. For us, it gives us a, whole, a more holistic view of what is happening in our faith. And we see that all scripture is God-breathed and it's important for a few things for all of us in teaching and rebuking and correcting and training with, for, for righteousness and being thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul tells Timothy that, that this is the purpose of understanding the Holy Scriptures, right? And so as we work to be a church that's equipping the saints to do the works and every good work, we have to be biblically wise. And it's so important for us to be biblically wise in this next season. Now, it's only getting tougher as a believer. We've talked about this. It's actually a strange thing that's happening. All the studies show that believers are, going, are getting, becoming less biblically knowledgeable. They're reading their Bible less. They understand the Bible less. And so we have to, as believers, if we're going to go do what the Lord wants us to do, we have to have biblical knowledge. And we have to have the whole picture of God's story. And we have to be wise in what we do. And so we look, as we look at the story of Nehemiah, we see that this is going to build us up for the next season. So I'm so excited to jump in on this. So let's just set the stage for Nehemiah as we begin this sermon series, Rebuild, all right? So the story of Nehemiah actually begins, I think about a hundred years earlier than the story that we read. Now we go back to 2 Kings 24 and 25 in a super short summary. We see that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, invades the land of Judah and ultimately invading Jerusalem and destroying the city. And the Israelites go out into exile. They're removed from the city and they go into exile. We pick up the story where these remnants begin to come back into the city. You'll see this plays an important part of the story, that there's just this small groups of Israelites that begin to go back into Jerusalem. So a lesson as we begin. Sometimes what you are having to rebuild is from generations of challenges. Sometimes what we're called to rebuild is from generations of challenges. You know, we have a Western mindset, so we don't even remember like 2019, right? 
And especially now that it's like a digital world where we're always looking and scrolling for the next thing. We oftentimes don't know the context or the culture that we're stepping in to change. And oftentimes it's generational. Oftentimes it's something that has uh, years and years and years of being built up. And you see this with Nehemiah. As we read the story of Nehemiah, we see that he is called to rebuild something that he was probably not a part of. It's kind of interesting to see that, right? He wasn't a part of the destruction. He wasn't there. This is a challenge for all of us. As we approach rebuilding anything in our lives, we have to understand our past. We have to understand what is happening culturally in the moment. And we need to, and we have to understand what is happening in light of history that we are walking into. Now we fast forward and we look at Ezra. And this is a book, the book of Ezra is actually tied to Nehemiah. Matter of fact, in the Hebrew text, I think it's one, uh, one book, Ezra and Nehemiah. And we see the beginning of the move back into the city. In Ezra 3, 1 through 3, we see the rebuilding of the temple. And I'm just going to read a little part of it. Now keep in mind, I can barely speak English, so this is hard for me with all these Hebrew names, but we're going to go for it. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jozadak, and his fellow priests in Zerubbabel, a son of Shetel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. In accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. So the temple is rebuilt. And you see that Zerubbabel is beginning to rebuild the temple. He's building the foundations. He rebuilds the temple. And then we fast forward 60 years later and we see Ezra. In short, Ezra asked the king of Persia if he can lead another wave of people focusing on priests and Levites. And his goal is for spiritual and social renewal amongst the people. And you can read that in Ezra 7 and the rest of the chapter. And then that brings us to Nehemiah. This is a stage set for Nehemiah. Now, he's an, uh, Israel, is, is, uh, he's an Israelite official serving in the Persian government. And it brings us to Nehemiah 1, where we'll begin. So let's read Nehemiah 1, 1 through 3. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Let's stop here and I wanna ask you this question. Do you even ask or reflect or wanna hear what's actually happening? That's the first thing we see Nehemiah do, right? In our families, in our community, in our church, do we even ask the question, tell me what's happening? Ask the questions, reflect on it. So often we get so busy, we may not be searching in the areas of our lives that the Lord might be calling us to rebuild. Or some of us, I can put myself in this boat too, sometimes we might be looking to avoid the situation completely. It's too hard. It seems too complicated. Are we, not, are, we, are we even asking the questions? Are we not asking the questions because we're afraid of what we might hear, right? Are we avoiding situations completely? This has to be our first step. Like Nehemiah, 
looking and asking the questions, what even needs to be rebuilt? What is happening to the place that I love? What is happening in, these in our, my community? What needs to be done? How are things there? Nehemiah engages with these important questions to the people that know what's going on. Now let's continue and look at Nehemiah 1 through 4, or 1, 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah hears the news of what he's, what does he, and what does he do? He weeps and he laments. The first thing he does is he weeps and he laments. What this shows me is a deep love. What Nehemiah has is a deep love for his city and for his people. You don't have this kind of reaction if you don't have deep love. There's no way that, that if you just hear something bad that happened, if you don't have a connection to that or deep love for it, you don't weep and lament. Do we have that love for our community and for our church? Do you have that in you, that, just that deep love that makes you just lament and weep when things get broken. And I wanna challenge us on that. One thing that I see um, is that we, when we see brokenness in areas of our lives, we, there's a couple reactions that I often see us do that we don't see Nehemiah doing. And I wanna challenge us on that. When we find out that something's broken or we see something broken in our community, we, we one, might place blame on someone or something for that brokenness, right? Two, we might throw rocks or judgment or begin to gossip about that thing, but not actually do anything about that thing. Three, we might ignore it altogether. We might just kind of turn a blind eye to it because we don't even want to see that it happens. Or four, we might get start, started working right away. Some of us are fixers, right? And we might just jump right in and start trying to fix things ourselves. But we see that Nehemiah doesn't do that. He takes time to mourn and lament and to weep over the situation. Then he takes this next step. And the next step he takes is praying and fasting. And what we see is this term right here that says, for some days, for some days. So in studying this, I saw that many commentators said that this is actually when it says for some days, this is probably a number of months. One commentator believed that it was probably around four months of praying and fasting and lamenting and weeping. He properly mourns and then he properly seeks the Lord. It's so important that we understand that. He properly mourns and then he properly seeks the Lord. Are we doing that or have we done that with areas of brokenness in our lives? I wanna, well, let's continue to read here in this incredible prayer that Nehemiah has as he cries out to God in Nehemiah 1, 5 through 11. It says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who, uh, who, for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you, you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's families, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and laws you have given you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, "If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even in your exiled people, 
are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servants and to the prayer of your, ser your servants who delight in re revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of man. Nehemiah is praying out to God after lament and prayer. He's asking for the forgiveness for himself and for his people. And then he's ready to take on the next challenge that God has for him. Now there's an important line in verse 11 at the end. And it's very simple, but it's critical to the story. And I think it's also a critical lesson for us as well. So he prays out to God. And then the last part of verse 11, it says, I was a cupbearer to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. We find that Nehemiah has influence. So he, he, he lamented and he wept and he prayed and he fasted. And then he realized what his influence was. What does a cupbearer do? Well, he would have been a high rank in the, in the royal court and his duties were to pour and serve the royal table of the Persian uh, king. He would have been in charge of guarding it against poison. And as a matter of fact, he would have actually probably had to taste it himself to see if there was poison in it, right? And he was also probably a trusted advisor and a trusted person that the king would often talk to. And I want to ask you this. As we think about what we're, what we're supposed to rebuild, I want you to think about what influence or gifting has God given you to make a change in this life? What giftings or influence has God given you to make a change in our community or our church or your families? What has he given you? Is there a place of influence that, he, uh, that he's been given you that to step into and to fix something, right? Being a cupbearer to the king doesn't seem glamorous, but it gives us access and influence. Maybe you're in a position where you don't see any glamour in it, but you realize that there's influence and giftings that he's given you that will help rebuild something in your life. Which leads us to this important, important question. So what do we do about it? So what do we do about this? How do we look at Nehemiah and we begin to say, okay, this is the first step. What are we going to do about it as a church? So this is where we get into the challenge. The first thing I want to do is, of course, for you to pray and to listen to God. If there's any area in your life that he wants to identify that you're supposed to step into and rebuild, we have to be spirit-led in this. Like we see Nehemiah, don't just jump in and try to fix everything. Listen to what the Spirit's telling you and do that. Pray and fast, lament and weep. But what are the areas that God wants you to rebuild? Because if you look outside your door, I guarantee you'll find a lot of brokenness. And I believe that the Lord wants to do something in light of that through you. All right? Number two then, ask God to, to help you ask the right questions and help you understand your connection and your, the culture that you're stepping into. Like we see Nehemiah, he understands what is what's going on and he asks questions. He wants to hear what is going on, and then he wants to seek what he is supposed to do within that. And then, before you jump in, I want to encourage you to pray and fast. Like I said, many of us have this thing where we jump in and try to fix a lot of things, and it might not be ours to fix. The Lord may not be calling us to fix it, and we might not find success within that. 
But if we pray and we fast and we seek the Lord, we'll begin to see how we're supposed to rebuild. Now that's where this challenge comes in. Well, I have a big challenge for us, all right? So we're going to be doing this thing called the 24-7 prayer movement. July 19th through the 25th, I want somebody praying for the redeemed body and for the community every hour of the day, night and day, okay? We believe that in prayer, we will see, uh, that, that we'll see changes happen. Our goal is to revive the church and rewire our culture through nonstop night and day prayer. Now, we're not going to have a prayer room. We're going to do this virtually, but you just need to sign up for one or two hours. You can pray from your house, from work. You can go on a prayer walk. But during that hour, it's going to be your responsibility to be praying for the redeemed body, for the people and for the church. And we'll have prayer points for you and we'll have different guided uh, ways that you can do it. But I want to encourage you right now, go to redeem.church. You'll see it on our website. But we want you to sign up. You got a, we got a whole calendar and you already see some of your friends and leadership of the church signed up to pray. Whether you're, you're, you're scheduled for one hour or two hours or three hours or four hours, whatever you're led to throughout the week, I want to encourage you to join in this 24-7 prayer movement. We believe that prayer actually changes things and that you will, we will see a movement happen as we build this thriving church that's transforming our community. We will think about how prayer started it. So as we lament and we weep about the things that have been lost, I want us to be praying and fasting for our church like never before. And that's you and that's me and that's everyone joining together for 24-7 prayer movement, all right? So redeem.church, you can go on there. It's really simple. You just sign up for a time and you, you are covered for that time and you'll get a, a reminder and all that stuff for prayer. But I want you to join with us for 24-7 prayer. So let me go ahead and pray for us as we continue to look at this next season and we say, Lord, what do you want us to rebuild? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for uh, what you have done in us and through us, what you might be calling us to. Lord, as we look around our community and our families and our church and we see brokenness, Lord, will you help us to have an individual calling of what you want us to do in this rebuild process? Lord, as we see things fall apart, we know that you want us to be part of the process of rebuilding. And we're so thankful that you work with us, alongside us, through us, and in us. Lord, will you come and just Holy Spirit reveal in each one of us our unique calling during this season. Don't let us sit on the sidelines, but let us join the team. And Lord, will you help us to pray 24-7 for this church for the week of July 19th. Lord, will you help us to be a spirit-led church that ultimately first and foremost hits our, the, our knees in prayer to you as we seek you together. Lord, we love you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we love you all. Go ahead and go to redeem.church, sign up for the 24-7 prayer movement, and we will be part two of Rebuild next week.